Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. Today, we are delighted to present to you a special bonus security sessions episode. There is absolutely no doubt that passwordless and FIDO authentication is one of the hottest topics on the radar of IIM professionals. While passwordless authentication offers convenience for end users, not all methods offer the same level of protection. In this special edition podcast, Garrett Becker, cybersecurity analyst from 451 Research and a self-learner, director of product management at Talis, discuss the merits and various angles of moving to passwordless. Enjoy! Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us today. My name is Garrett Becker, and I'm a cybersecurity industry analyst for 451 Research, which is now a part of S&P Global Market Intelligence. And I specifically cover identity and access management, data security, and cloud security. With us today, uh, we have a soft learner, and a soft owns product management essentially for the identity and access management practice for Talus here in America. So um, Asaf, great to have you today. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Great. Well, today to kick off this podcast, recently we did a, a report on a topic that's fairly popular these days on the idea of passwordless multi-factor authentication. So that's going to be the focus of our discussion today. And in this report, one of the things we noted was that enterprise adoption of multi-factor authentication had actually gotten a bit of a boost in part thanks to the COVID-19 epidemic and also the related work from home phenomenon, as well as the ongoing migrations of apps and data and workloads to the cloud, which I would argue has actually gotten a boost from, uh, from the COVID pandemic as well. In fact, uh, we've got a survey service at 451 Research we call Voice of the Enterprise, where we survey several hundred senior level IT decision makers on a variety of topics. And we asked them about what their response to the COVID pandemic was and in terms of security. And one of the top responses was implementing MFA. In fact, we found 61% of respondents have implemented MFA, which is actually a nice jump. The past few years, we were asking that same question. It was coming in around 51, 52, 53%. Now, that's that's interesting because we've looked over the years when you compare MFA adoption to other security tools, whether it be firewalls or endpoint security, things like that. You know, we see adoption levels tend to be over 90%. So after that preamble, Asaf, I guess first question goes to you. If everybody knows just how bad passwords are, why are they still around? Amazing question. So basically, Passwords are there because they are the easiest to implement. They come with your directory. If we're talking here about Microsoft Active Directory, you know, that is the uh, dominant uh, market leader around user directories. So every time you enroll a user, the first thing you do when the user comes to your company, you enroll him in the directory and he need to choose a password. This is the easiest way to for the employee and for the employer 
to verify the identity of that employee. So it comes right out of the box. You don't have to do anything. It's right there. And you use it from now on. Moving to multi-factor authentication, moving to MFA requires something. It requires either to deploy a third-party vendor. It requires to hand off authenticator. It requires to install mobile applications. It requires some additional steps that sometimes are too hard. That's reason number one. Reason number two, and unfortunate, I think they both stand, is lack of knowledge or the notion that passwords are still okay, I will not be breached, which we found you know, amazingly very, very spread around, right? I will not be breached. My passwords are good enough. No one can guess my password. And those kind of things, you know, put people in this reluctant mode that passwords are still. Yeah, no, fair point. I, it's funny. Um, we, we all know that passwords are not okay, right? That they, they will get breached, or at least a lot of people do. I came across a report last year or so cleaning up my office, and it was a really convincing report laying out all the reasons why passwords were bad and why in the next couple of years they would be completely gone. The interesting thing was that the report was dated in 2001. I actually know the person who wrote it. So here we are exactly 20 years later, and things really haven't changed all that much. So I guess asking that question a slightly different way, you know, why are passwords still around? I guess the flip side of that is why has it been taken so long for MFA to get beyond 50% enterprise adoption. What are some of the specific issues that people looking to deploy MFA might run into? Well, in order to answer that, we need to take two steps back and talk about two things. One, what is an identity? I know it sounds big, it sounds a lot, but bear with me for just a second. And then we'll talk about the first use case where we needed to use MFA. And it all kind of flows into where we are at today. So first, let's start with identities. People need to understand that when an employee is you know, being onboarded to the company, we create an identity for him, a corporate identity for him, which is unrelated or just slightly related to their born identity that the government gave them, right? Once we created this employee's identity, the employee will use his identity to access everything around the enterprise. Like when you are using your government-issued identity, when you are trying, for example, to pass in an airport security, right? You need to prove that you are who you claim to be. The way that an employee will prove his identity, will prove that he's who he's claimed to be in the enterprise world is a password or something else. Let's talk later about what is this something else. That was identity. So first of all, a password is a mean, right, to prove your identity. Now, in previous days, like five years ago or, or a decade ago, in order to access a resource in the company, you had to do one of two things. You had to either go physically to the office go through the physical security, the door, connect to a network, and boom, you had access to everything. Or when you work remotely, you could just knock on the front door, knock on the VPN, and identify yourself to the VPN gateway, prove your identity, and then you get you got a full access in. Two things. Now, these two topics that I spoke about are now joining together. You need 
to prove your identity when you want to access a resource. And the first one was the VPN, because that was the main gate for those small group of remote workers. Since then, the VPN that protected our premise, right, our on-prem applications and castle mode is less relevant because things are moving to the cloud. Now, how do I prove my identity when trying to access cloud applications? I know how to do it with the VPN and the company invested a lot of money protecting that main gate, that VPN. So we know that most MFA today are there in order to protect the VPN, but they are lagging behind when they need to protect other kinds of resources. It was a little bit long, but I hope I made the point here. No, exactly. I think it's a very good point. Our, our research has, has been the same, and I think it's a fair point to look at that within those 61% of enterprises that have adopted MFA, it's typically not firm-wide. To your point, it's a lot of it's for VPN. Um, we still don't see MFA used a lot for things like Windows login. We also tend to see it reserved for different user personas within the enterprise. You know, as you mentioned, VPN, it's, it's typically, you know, remote workers or mobile workers, what have you. We see also, I think MFA tends to be deployed a fair amount for privileged IT and privileged admins like database administrators and whatnot that have access to sensitive resources. Let's maybe move ahead a bit. Uh, you already talked about some of the use cases. I guess the main one is VPN. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about passwordless. Passwordless MFA, as I may have mentioned earlier, it's, it's certainly been getting a lot of buzz in, in recent years. Maybe we can just talk about what is passwordless? What does it mean to you? Because there can be various definitions, right? And maybe some of the benefits of, of going passwordless. Yeah, of course. So passwordless in its simple, simplest definition is when you prove your identity, right? And it's all around identities. I keep coming back to that point because again, we need to pass those checkpoints while proving that we are who we claim to be. So a passwordless technology will help you prove your identity without using any textual information, without using a password or even a one-time password. We do have the need of uh, typing in a pin. So there are a bunch of technologies out there that will enable you to prove your identity and will enable the company to make sure that you are the right person and you have the right authorization without prompting anything or, or you know, having the user to remember passwords or, or any strings at all. So that passwordless. Now, if you want, right, we can give some examples of password techniques that are out there. I think that would be helpful, specifically um, things like FIDO, Fast Identity Online, which has gotten a lot of buzz in recent years. That's certainly been a big part of the passwordless conversation, but it doesn't have to be. Some examples I think would be, would be helpful. The first example, again, is FIDO. Now, FIDO comes in different forms of sh and shapes. Uh, it can come in a, in the shape of a USB token, right? That you plug it in your, your USB. Just the fact that you have that access to that USB token proves that you are who you claim to be. You hold that unique piece of hardware and that one type of FIDO. There are other types of FIDO devices like mobile applications that run on the FIDO protocols and, and so forth. But other types of uh, passwordless are, for example, uh, a pattern very similar to one that you use to unlock an Android phone. You know, some people use that pattern. If you remember your pattern, 
you don't have to remember a password. That's a way of proving your identity. Another example can be biometrics. For example, when you are logging into your iPhone, you use your thumbprint or your face ID. That's a type of passwordless. Another very, very, I'd say, uh, modern passwordless technique today is user behavioral analysis. There are ways today to track your behavior and deduct from there your identity, the way you do stuff, the way you, you know, punch your keys, move your mouse, your habits, right? We can track your habits. If we know that you log in every day to your email from a certain machine, from a certain IP address, then we can potentially let you in because there's a lower risk in doing so. All these techniques are, are considered to be passwordless. It's interesting that you brought up UEBA, what we call user entity behavioral analytics. I've had this view, and I don't know if you agree or not, but one of the um, one of the challenges with MFA, it's essentially binary, right? A lot of access management is it's either yes or no, red light, green light. You're either in or you're out. And I, I joke that MFA can be a little bit like a bouncer in a nightclub, right? They let you in if you pass. And once you get in, they have no idea what you're doing on the inside and they don't really care. And I think that's been another one of the challenges with MFA. And I think one of the things that I'm very positive on is towards some of the stuff that you just mentioned, some of the behavioral techniques where we can move more towards a risk-based or even a more uh, continuous form of authentication. And um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that that's definitely where the world's go going to. And, and I'll explain. You know, the average company has like, large or medium large companies, they have hundreds of different applications, which means that we expect the user in some cases to prove their identity or to authenticate several times during the workday. Me personally, as a Thales employee, I have 14 different applications that I'm using on a daily basis. And if they were gated with multi-factor authentication, it means that I would have to authenticate 14 times during my day. And that's where the risk management comes in, right? The company should have some kind of a single sign-on technology and a continuous authentication technology to allow the employees to go easily through their workday. You know, I always tell people it is hard as it is, right? There's a pandemic outside and people are working remotely and the internet connection is not wide enough because there are three kids, you know, zooming in, into virtual learning. And it is hard as it is. The last thing we want to do is to put more pressure on the employee and put more gates and friction for them to do their job. So what we need to do, we need to take those technologies like passwordless, like continuous authentication, like risk management, and try to make it easier for the employee's side. And, you know, going back to the FIDO discussion, I think that this is what FIDO also are trying to do. Get rid of passwords, make it easier for them, make it easier for everyone. It's not always simple, but planning for it and, you know, making baby steps towards it is definitely something that, that we see starting to happen. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point. And actually, that touches on an issue that I think is really central to this whole debate. And it's the, this idea of user experience, right? And if you can look at all the different potential objections to MFA, and, and we've done some surveys in the past to support this, it's it's the upfront costs, it's the replacement costs, it's distribution costs, you know, for example, if you have to ship tokens around or replacing batteries. But the biggest one 
that comes back to all the time. The biggest reason why MFA is not adopted more is simply the user experience. And that's certainly true in an enterprise setting where you're worried about MFA for your workforce. But when you look into a, a B2B to C scenario where you're talking about your external customers, user experience is almost nothing else matters, right? If they don't have a good user experience, they're gone and they're never coming back. And I think that's one of the big promises to your point of the whole passwordless thing is to improve the user experience. And I think even some of the newer forms of, of MFA, I think even fall arguably fall short there, right? Like I think of some of the SMS-based things where example, you say, okay, SMS, how hard is that, right? I get a text sent to my phone, you just enter the text in, no problem, right? Well, here's a typical case for me, right? I'll be sitting on the couch doing surfing and I want to buy something and I have to get a code shipped to me. Well, guess what? I don't have my phone. <laughs> so now I have to go look for my phone. It's in the other room. And if I find it, well, I've got to hope, oh, geez, it's, my phone's dead. Now I have to charge it. So even something trivial like that can lead to a bad user experience. And I think that's what's really, really interesting about FIDO and passwordless. So what are some of the biggest barriers that you would say to the adoption of passwordless or FIDO you know, more throughout the enterprise? So I, I think that you just mentioned it, that people don't, in, in a large organization, uh, People don't want to change the way things are being done. Even if it makes the user's life easier, change is a very hard thing to do. And that's reason number one. Take, for example, a hospital. Doctors are constantly running between patients, between rooms, between, you know, taking care of people. The last thing you want to do is add friction for that process. Same goes for law enforcement and manufacturing and all those types of users. And you cannot really go and tell them now you have to work around with a FIDO token. The first thing about FIDO is that sometimes it just doesn't meet the use case. It can solve some of the problems or other passwordless technologies can solve some of the problems, but not all of the problems. I think that a good solution will have to know how to mix between the techniques, between FIDO, passwordless, and any other identity verification technologies. And that's the real secret sauce, I'd say. Now, another drawback for FIDO is the identity lifecycle and management capabilities, I think that the standard is not fully defined all the way there. If you lost your FIDO token or you lost your password to, to the FIDO token, then we'll have to reissue you a token, which can be problematic at times. And a lot of FIDO implementations involve hardware tokens. And a lot of companies today are trying to move away from hardware tokens because, you know, for example, global companies, they don't want to ship tokens around the world and there's a cost to it. It's not a cheap solution, right? I think these are the things that are holding FIDO back. Compatibility, right? If you want to prove your identity on different platforms like iPhones, for example, or Think Clients or VDI environment, then there's an issue there as well. All those things are stopping, you know, FIRO to become a main thing that enterprise will adopt. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. And I think MFA is a little bit of a horses for courses thing, right? There's a lot of different form factors. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. People have their own preferences. There may be some companies or some users, they don't have any problem with hardware tokens. Other people really have no use for them, but there are also different form factors. You know, as you mentioned, the phone-based, you know, some of the passwordless other options that don't use a hardware token uh, might be like a what they call a platform authenticator where you can leverage some form of PKI. Lots of different ways to achieve that. But I think the point is really to have the flexibility to let companies choose what they want to do. And certainly that can make for a, for a better user experience. I think we're probably getting close to uh, the end of our, of our podcast. So I was just wondering, Asaf, if there are any other questions or remaining comments or points that you wanted to address um, before, we, uh, before we wrap up. Yeah, you know, we started by talking about the adoption of MFA that is not as dominant as other security technologies. First of all, I feel a, a huge change. You know, we, we, we haven't spoke about zero trust, but last August released their uh, recommendations around security and put the identity-centric zero trust center stage, really gave a lot of people the excuse to start reinvesting in identity in access management. So we spoke a lot about MFA, but MFA is just one layer, right, of the bigger identity in access management world. We spoke about a, a little bit SSO and, and risk management, but I think organizations right now are starting to rethink their identity access management posture in an holistic way. Uh, we want to have identities being managed. We want to have now that we are not just, you know, authenticating people to the VPN, but we are in the cloud world or multi-cloud hybrid world. We need to have a more holistic approach towards IAM. And then really we're starting to understand that MFA and other IAM technologies are really, really becoming more and more relevant. And that's good news because if we look at most of the breaches out there, right? Most of them, they can be prevented or mitigated using just simple MFA. And I can give many examples, but we know that a lot of, according to a Google survey, right? Just using MFA can block 90% of all breaches. It's not the ultimate solution, right? We're, we're talking about layers and the onion approach towards security, but MFA seems to be more and more important. I'm really happy that NIST acknowledged it and it takes center stage. And yeah, that, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, I think also with respect to phishing, I think Google has claimed that since they went to a zero trust model and universal MFA, they, they basically eliminated phishing, like went down to zero phishing attacks, which is interesting. But um, you also mentioned zero trust, and that's probably a good closing topic. That's a, um, it's a topic that's been near and dear to my heart over the past few years. I spent a lot of time researching and writing about the whole zero trust thing because we've also seen a boost in cloud adoption and in part from the work from home phenomenon. And we've also seen a boost in interest in zero trust. In fact, our survey data shows that zero trust is one of the top initiatives, security initiatives that is going forward. And I think, you know, to your point, for me, MFA and identity is central, if not crucial to zero trust. Like you can't have zero trust without a big focus on MFA and identity. You know, my view is zero trust is happening because we're going from this old perimeter-based world of trusted, untrusted networks. And the central idea was 
you know, access was based more on where you are, what network you were on and whether it was trusted or untrusted. And now we go to this world where, you know, users are everywhere, applications are everywhere, data is everywhere. This idea of, you know, what network you're on doesn't make sense anymore. So, you know, it's greatly simplifying things, but I like to say zero trust access is, it becomes about who you are, not where you are. And that in turn implies a really big role for identity and, and authentication in my mind. In fact, you know, if we can't get enterprise adoption of MFA above 61%, zero trust isn't going to be successful, right? I'd argue that you can't do zero trust without MFA and, and identity. So I don't know if you had any final thoughts or comments on that. First of all, I fully agree with you. I think, you know, there's a cliche I heard a while back that identity is the new perimeter. <laughs> so uh, you, you, you said it right. There is no perimeter. We are in a hybrid world. And yeah, I, I agree that zero trust is the way to go. Identity-centric zero trust. And I think that slowly but surely companies will more and more adopt those approaches and then we'll see more MFA, more identity management, more access management, and hopefully less breaches. Yeah, agreed. And, and by the way, I've heard the identity is a new perimeter thing myself quite a lot, but I but I do agree with you in principle. So Asaf, this has been great. It's been a lot of fun and hopefully informative for all of our listeners, but I think that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks again for joining us and thanks to everyone else for joining us and, and have a great day. for listening to this bonus episode of the Talis Security Sessions podcast. Join us for Security Sessions Episode 9, coming soon. Love this episode of the Talis Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe rate and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talisgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.